Good morning, church. My name is Jeff Brookshire, and I'm one of the small group leaders here, and I also serve on the elder team. Identity, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Identity, who we are. Now, I think you would agree that there are many different ways in which we could describe our identity, many different ways that we could identify ourselves. For example, some identify by their age. So raise your hand if you are less, if you're 12 years old or younger. Raise your hand. All right. Uh, 13 through 19, in your teen years, raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Good to see you in the house. Uh, 20 to 29, raise your hand. <laughs> raise your hand if you want me to stop right there. <laughs> of course. Of course. In fact, I think I will stop right there because I saw many of you raising your hand in the 20 to 29 because you've been 29 for several years now. So we'll just stop right there. Some people identify by where they've lived. How many of you have lived in a foreign country? One, two, three, four. Awesome. There were seven in the first. I was really surprised by that. Um, how many of you have always lived in Georgia? All right. Awesome. How many of you who have always lived in Georgia feel like anybody who's lived outside of Georgia has lived in a foreign country? <laughs> of course, of course. Some people identify by their sports teams. So raise your hand if you are a Georgia Tech Yellow Jacket. All right. <laughs> kind of heavy on this side. Did you notice that? A little bit of help over here, but heavy on this side. Uh, let's see. Auburn War Eagle. All right. Uh, raise your hand if you are a Clemson Tiger. Uh, raise your hand if you are a Tennessee Volunteer. Raise your hand if you are a uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> uh, raise your hand if you are a uh, Purdue Boilermaker. Eh. Raise your hand. It seems like I'm forgetting someone. Raise your hand if you are a Georgia Bulldog. I think I said raise your hand, not bark. But anyway, <laughs> that's awesome. People identify themselves by many different ways, right? We could do this all day. We could do all sorts of things we could go through. For example, I didn't go through politics, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, and so forth. I didn't go with sexual orientation, heterosexual, LGBTQIA. Um, I didn't go by, uh, 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 what am I trying to say? Your income, poor, middle class, or one percenters. I didn't go by what your work is, blue collar, white collar, retired. We could have even gotten into things like Star Trek and Star Wars, right? <laughs> We could have got Pepsi versus Coke, Marvel Comics versus DC Comics. We could have gone on and on and on all day. But the thing is, is that if you add up all of those things, they still do not equal our identity, do they? Some people who understand that say this. They'll say, I think I lost myself somewhere along the way. I'm not sure who I am anymore. I don't know what my identity is. 
And some who go to the extreme will go off the grid and go into the wilderness just to find their identity. My submission to you today is is that you don't need to go into the wilderness to find out who you are, to find your identity. You can find it right here in the pages of this holy book. Because my main contention to you today is this, is that when you know who God is in all of his splendor, when you know who God is and who you are in relationship to God, that's when you find your true identity, when you discover who you are in relationship to God. Well, there's many different ways in which God is described. God is a multi-splendored God. God is multifaceted. And there's no way that I could go through all the different ways that God identifies himself in the Bible. But I've chosen um, six today that I want to share with you. The first one that I want to share with you is this. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to destroy, to save and destroy. So what are the two main words there to describe God? What are they? Lawgiver and judge. So in the beginning, in the very beginning, when God created the universe, when God created the heavens and the earth, we learned that God established certain laws for his creation, for his universe. He established natural laws. He established scientific laws. He determined relationship laws and spiritual laws, which in my mind, God had a right to do. If you create something, you get the right to decide what the rules are. You get to decide what the laws are if you create something. And God did. But many people, they, they get rubbed the wrong way when you talk about God being a lawgiver. Because people don't want a lawgiver. People want to be a law unto themselves. People want to be able to make morality based off of their own opinions, their own experiences, their own ideas, their own ideals, their own education, and so forth. They don't want a lawgiver telling them what the rules are. And so what they do is is they shift the meaning of what morality is. They shift the definition of morality. I don't know about you, but over the last several years, I've noticed that the definition of what used to be moral continues to change over and over again. It just continues to shift as time goes on because people want morality to be popular, right? They want it to be modern. They want it, they want it to be politically correct. So people want morality to be written in erasable pencil when in fact God carved it in stone. The truth of the matter is, is that God is the lawgiver and he is also the judge. He will be the one who will decide whether we kept the laws or whether we broke the laws. Listen to this scripture. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. I don't know about you, but there are two words in there. It's the same word used twice that really kind of um, get me. It's the word every. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. 
every, not just Christian knees, not just Christian tongues, but every knee will bow, every tongue will acknowledge God. Which means that when we are standing before the judgment seat of God, we will be falling to our knees, bowing before him, and some will be falling in terror. Because they will recognize for the first time that they've been saying that there is no God out there, but there is now a God right before them. They will fall in terror because they will recognize that they are guilty, that they have broken the laws. They knew the laws and they broke them and they even encouraged others to break them. And now they're before the judge ready to be declared guilty. They will fall in terror because they will recognize that their punishment is coming to them, which is hell. Some will fall in terror, but then there will others who will fall in praise and thanksgiving. They will fall in praise and thanksgiving because they will see that there is a God. The God that they believed, not by sight, but by faith, they believed in. They will see him once and for all. And then they will fall on their knees in praise and thanksgiving because they will recognize that they are guilty. They have broken the laws. Sometimes they've broken them boldly and encouraged others to do so. But they have accepted a Savior, Jesus Christ. They will fall on their knees in praise and thanksgiving because heaven is just around the corner. Which one are you at today? If you lost your last, had your last breath today, which would it be for you? Terror or praise and thanksgiving? God identifies himself as lawgiver and judge. And the Bible says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So the first part of that, go back one slide. The first part of that is just simply saying that we've all sinned. There's nobody here who hasn't sinned, who hasn't broken God's laws. That's why we have the slogan, no perfect people allowed, right? None of us have the right to look down our noses at anybody else for their sin. We are all sinners here. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a preacher I listened to several years ago, and whenever he'd do this passage, he'd like to say, we all have fallen shorts. (laughs) We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Go to the next slide. And all are justified freely by his grace. Now, what does that mean exactly? Grace is getting something that you do not deserve. Getting something that you do not deserve. Getting it. Justified is what you get that you do not deserve. What does justified mean? It's a legal term. It means to declare not guilty. You are justified, meaning you are declared not guilty for the sins that were mentioned in the first part of that scripture. Now, how does that happen? How do you get that? You don't deserve it. You're declared not guilty freely. How does that happen? Well, that grace is costly. And in that next line there, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, it describes how we get justified. Redemption is a financial term. It is usually used in the slave markets. 
meaning to buy back, to purchase freedom. That's what it means. Now, throughout my childhood, I was told a story, a wonderful story, about my great, 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 great grandfather, Emsley Brookshire. He lived in the early 1800s in southern Indiana. He was a Wesleyan pastor. And they shared the story, the family story, that he uh, got on a boat on the Ohio River, went down to the Mississippi, and took the Mississippi down to New Orleans. And in New Orleans, he went into a slave market and purchased two African-American slave boys. He took those boys back up the Mississippi to southern Indiana, freed them, and raised them as his own. That's redemption. That's redemption. Being purchased. Having somebody like Jesus Christ come to this earth to pay the price so that we could be free from hell, free for heaven, free from sin. That's redemption. So putting the whole scripture together, we've all sinned, we're all guilty, but we've been declared not guilty, not because we deserve it, but getting something that we do not deserve because Jesus paid the price when he died upon the cross. Jesus paid the price by his blood. That's what that scripture means. So the scripture teaches us very clearly that God is lawgiver. God is the judge, and we are the defendants before him. But if that's the only way that you see God in yourself, you only have a partial picture. If you only see God as lawgiver and judge, and you just as a defendant before him, then you only have a partial picture of your identity. Let's look at the next scripture. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords. What are the three ways in which God is described there? I can't hear you. Ruler, king, and lord. Exactly. That's how God designs himself. He is not just ruler. He is the only ruler, the scripture says. He is not just a king. He is the king of kings. He is not just the Lord. He is the Lord of lords. And we as Christians have this great relationship with him as subjects and as servants. We Christians are the subjects of the king and servants of the Lord. What does that mean? It means simply that we try to be like God. We try to reflect his character because character matters. We try to do what he wants us to do, say what he wants us to say, be who he wants us to be. In other words, we take ourselves off of the throne of our lives and put God in his rightful place to rule, to be king, and to be Lord. But friends, if that is your only picture of God as king, ruler, and Lord, and you as subjects and servants, your picture is still incomplete. There is so much more than that. In fact, I'm going to read five scriptures back to back to back. They're written by three different men in five different places books of the Bible, and I want you to listen and try to figure out what the main theme of these scriptures are. So listen to this. Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, 
the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption, adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The scripture very clearly says that the identity of Christians are as sons and as daughters. That's our identity. We are sons and daughters of God. Sure, we're defendants. We're defendants of We're standing before the lawgiver and judge. That's a part of our identity. But it's so much more than that because judges typically do not adopt their defendants as children. Sure, we are subjects before the king. But it's so much more than that because kings typically do not adopt their subjects as children. Sure, we are servants of the Lord. But it's so much more than that because lords typically do not adopt They're servants as children, but we are the children of the living God. In fact, it's said in that passage that we even call him Abba, Father. Some people um, translate Abba to mean Daddy. Daddy. You have a Daddy in heaven who loves you like no one else has ever loved you, who wants the best for you. And wants to spend eternity with you. Praise God if you believe that. Repeat after me. I am a child of God. Men, I am a son of God. Women, I am a daughter of God. Let's do it again. I am a child of God. Men, I am a son of God. Women, I am a daughter of God. That's your identity. That is your identity. Now, one of the questions that I always ask myself when I'm reading Scripture or whenever I hear Pastor Rod preach is, how does this practically apply to me in my everyday life? I mean, it's one thing for us to say in church, I am a child of God, but how does that affect me? What, uh, what does that do with me during the rest of my week? Being a child of God means that you do not have an absentee father or a father that will harm you. Your father in heaven is holy, without sin. Your father in heaven is not just loving, he is love, the scripture says. 
Some of you today here, being a child of God means you have a father who's full of compassion, who wants to comfort you when you are hurting. Only he can give you the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only God can give. Being a child of God means that you have a father who wants the best for you. His laws are there for you to keep from hurting yourself and hurting others. That's why they're there. You have a God who wants the best for you because you are his child. Being a child of God means you have a father who knows what is best for you. Some of you are struggling with your direction right now in your life. He knows what the way is to go. He knows the direction that is best for you. The scripture says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Having a, having a father like God knows that he wants to spend forever with you because he wants to spend forever with you because he loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you. Some of you today have come to church hurting. You put on the game face, right? You made it down that long hallway with people saying, hey, how you doing? Fine. How was your week? Great. But inside, that hurt is swirling. Is swirling. Come to the Father. Come to the Father and ask for the peace that passes all understanding and find your peace. Some of you are here today because you have an absentee father. You have an absentee father or a father who harmed you very deeply. And even the topic of saying father is very difficult because that image is a painful one for you. But know that you have a father today who loves you, who is holy, who is love, and who wants the best for you. Come to the father. Some of you are operating outside of God's laws, sinning actively. Some some of you may be boldly and encouraging others to do so. Come to the Father and repent. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness from the Father, and He will give it to you if you ask sincerely. Some of you are needing direction in your lives this morning. You don't know which way to go. It's not just two roads to go. You've got five points. <laughs> You're trying to figure out which road am I going to take. Should I go back to where I was or should I keep on going? I, what should I do? You have a father who has a perfect will for you. He has a will for your life. So come to the father. Ask for his wisdom. Ask for his perfect will for your life. And finally, there are those of you when I was talking about falling to our knees and there was terror or thanksgiving, you recognized that you would be on the terror side. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. There's a decision that can be made that will wipe that terror away and put it into praise and thanksgiving. And that is the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Do these two things. 
One, ask for forgiveness. Sincerely go to God and ask for forgiveness. And secondly, promise to follow Jesus as your Lord, as your leader. Ask for forgiveness, promise to follow. And if you do that, you will be transformed from what the Bible calls as enemies of the cross to being a child of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, I do come to you this morning and I just pray for those, especially those who are hurting. The hurt is swirling right now inside of them. And I pray that when we pray our silent prayers, Lord, that you will hear their prayers. You will give them the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray for those who are looking for direction and not sure where to go. I pray that you will hear their prayers. You'll give them wisdom and you will provide them with your direction. I pray, Almighty God, for those who have had an absentee father or a father who was uh, doing terrible things to them. I pray, Almighty God, that you will bless them this morning, that you will show them how much you very much love them and that they will pray to you asking for your love to be revealed. And Lord, I pray for those who are sinning and sinning boldly, I pray, Lord, that they will come to you today and ask for forgiveness. Receive that forgiveness where you separate it as far as the east is from the west and you throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. Thank you, Lord. Please hear us now as we pray our own prayers to you silently. Lord God, thank you for hearing our prayers. We're looking for your answers. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.